0: Hi, this is Scott Silkey. I'm the Worship Arts Director here at New Life Church. We're excited that you are joining us today. I pray that today's message will encourage and inspire you to be the hands and feet of Jesus to the world around you. Open the, the Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark, and uh, we're going to be in in Chapter Six today for the most part. Be in Chapter Six. So as we go through this study today, keep your keep your book open to chapter six, and anytime I deviate from that chapter, I'll have it on the wall for you, okay? We went with the footprints today, because this is, this is a following Jesus. What does it look like to follow Jesus? And the title of this message is, and I thought this was so appropriate to what the missionaries just said, peaks and valleys, peaks and valleys. And the big idea is this, the way of Jesus is not always an easy road to walk, But when you follow the master, you will experience the miraculous. When you get covered with the dust of the rabbi, you will see the miraculous. But that doesn't mean it's going to be an easy road the whole time. Mark, so stay in six. This is just a quick bookend here at the beginning. Mark chapter 8 says this, verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit any, someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? Jesus said, if you follow me, it's gonna be, there's going to be some, some rough road. So let's talk about the valleys first. All right, the valleys. The first valley that we see in this passage is rejection. Rejection. Have you ever had a moment where you've tried to open up about the things of God? You try to open up about how God has saved you, your, your faith, and the person that you were talking to just shut it down. Just re- I remember uh, stories from my parents. When they first got saved, man, they, they, they came through the Catholic charismatic movement, um, and they got saved. And filled with the Spirit, and that they were just talking to their friends about uh, about the things of God, and, and they probably annoyed them with, with with the message of Christ because they were so on fire. And and some of their secular friends just started to die off. Not they didn't die. It was not they didn't actually die. They just they started like separating. They just they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to be among my parents anymore. it was just a, there was something there was a rejection to their new life this new kingdom that they were in, okay? Well, if, if, ever, if that's ever happened to you, you're in good company. Verse, chapter, verse 1 of chapter 6. He left there and came to his hometown. This is Jesus. And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished. Now, this is a common thing, to be astonished at the words of Jesus, but this is a different kind of astonished, okay? They're not like, whoa, he teaches like nobody ever. This is what they're astonished with. Ready? This is what they said. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that he has been given to him? And how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter's boy? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? What does that mean? <laughs> it basically means, aren't, aren't his sisters our wives? Haven't we, like, what the heck? So they were offended by him. Now, that word offended can be translated multiple ways. The word offended here means they were scandalized by Jesus. His words Were so scandalous to them because they're like, who, who, basically they're saying this, who does this guy think he is? We know him. We know his mom. We married his sisters. This is, who is this guy? And they were offended, scandalized by him. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. Among his relatives and his household. Now, what is the byproduct of being offended by the words of Jesus? Verse 5. He was not able to do a miracle there. What? Jesus was not able to do a miracle? That's weird. Isn't this, you think Jesus could just do anything he wants. But remember last week's story about the woman who touched the fringe of his God What did he say to her? He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. It was her faith in who Jesus was. Instead of being offended by him, she embraced who he was. Now, I know what it feels like to be a prophet without honor in his hometown. I grew up in a... a, a Northwest Connecticut, and I grew up. I went, Mom, what, was I a year old when we started going to that church? A year old when we started going to the church. I went, they had a Christian school there. I went school through all the years, you know, maybe one year, twice. Um, (laughs) No comment. Uh, I I was there a long time. And uh, then I went that way to college, and then immediately they hired me back as the children's pastor and then I became the children's pastor and the youth pastor. And then I became the children's pastor, the youth pastor, and the worship leader, and the choir director, and the athletic director, and the coach of two... It was a lot. And they supposedly were grooming me for the lead pastor's position. But year after year, it just didn't happen. And I think I, think I figured it out at the end of it. The they had a hard time seeing me as... The authority. They just saw me as little Davy, the one who was in the principal's office way too many times. I was talking to Caleb this morning. I was like, I was on the, the dean's list, not the good one, the other dean's list. Uh, Lisa was on the other, the good dean's list. I was on the yeah. Um, that's why we we met so well, <laughs> the yin and the yang. But I mean, I just I, I come to realize that that was just I, I can identify with this scenario because a prophet. You could be, I mean, but when they know you as a kid, you know, that's little Yeshua. You know, he's the one I I had to, you know, scoot out of my tree. That type of thing. It's hard. But they were, they didn't just know him. They were offended that he was trying to teach them something. That he was revealing new things to them and they were offended by him. And so Jesus was not able to do the things he did other places. It says he was not able to do miraculous, any miracles there except, now this is Jesus, right, except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, why did he heal those people? Because they believed in him. And he was amazed at their unbelief, at their unbelief. So the first valley we see in chapter 6 is this valley of... of um, rejection. And we've all understood, we, we can feel, we understand rejection. Now we're going to turn into a, a valley of doubt. Doubt. And uh, stay in chapter 6, because we're going to keep going on there, but I want to, I want to run over to Matthew chapter 11 real quick. It says this, and this is about John the Baptist. Verse 2, now when John heard, uh, heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent a message through his disciples and asked him, are you the one who is to come Or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied to him, to the disciples, he said, Go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And then he says this, and I think this is very interesting. He says, And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. There's that word again, offended. Now, what is going on here? John is is Jesus' cousin. There's a familiarity there that we don't typically get. And John is the one who baptized Jesus, and he said, this is the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world, He was the guy who went ahead of Jesus to prepare the world. He was baptizing for for repentance so that people would be ready for the message of Jesus. So what is this all about? John got a little cocky. I believe John got a little cocky. He knew Jesus was there. He knew the kingdom was coming. So he started to mouth off to power. You know what happens when you speak truth to power? Sometimes you're going to get squashed doesn't mean it's not true. It just means you might get squashed. So he starts going off on Herod. Herod is an important man. He's a ruthless man. So he starts talking to to Herod and preaching against Herod. And I really believe that John thought that this was the right time to do this thing because the kingdom of God was coming. Jesus is here. But he didn't understand what the kingdom was like at this point. So he's asking Jesus, he's like, um, Jesus, I'm still in prison. What's going on? Are you going to do it or should we wait for somebody else? Because now would be a good time. I've ever had that moment where where things are going on in your life and you're like, anytime, Jesus. Now would be a good time to show up. Maybe do some miracles now. And what does that cause us to do? It causes us to do two things. It causes us to be slightly offended that Jesus doesn't work on our timeline. And it causes there to be doubt. Well, let's go back over to uh, John uh, Mark 6. And let's see how Herod, uh, John got into this situation. He said this, verse 14, King Herod heard about it because Jesus' name had become well-known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead, and that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he's Elijah still, and others said he's a prophet like the, ones, like the prophets of long ago. When Herod heard it, he said, John, the one I beheaded, has been raised. So this is like, we, we get the end of the story here right up front. Jesus never showed up the way John wanted him to. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus stop becoming Messiah at that moment? Did Jesus stop being God in that moment? (laughs) Why do I ask that question? Because that's what the doubts are. When Jesus doesn't do the thing you want him to do, and it may not even be a bad thing, I'm sure John really, really, really wanted to get out of prison. I'm sure he didn't want to die in there. I'm sure he could see how him getting out could be a benefit to a lot of people. And the answer came back, no. But if you were were really God, you would have, uh, see the doubt? Jesus didn't stop being God in that moment. He just said no. Ouch. That's what I would call a valley. That's a valley. No doubt about it. There's valleys on this walk. Jesus does not always show up the way we want him to. And sometimes he just says no. Let's read the rest of the story. Verse 17. For Herod himself had been uh, given orders to arrest John and to chain him in the prison on account of Herodias his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias held a uh, grudge against him and wanted wanted to kill him. But she could not, because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing he was a righteous and holy man. Notice this. John didn't compromise. He didn't like compromise his beliefs, and therefore he was abandoned to die. No, he was a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard him, he would be very perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. Herod even kind of liked him. Probably not many people talking straight to Herod at that moment, right? An opportune time came on on his birthday when Herod gave a banquet for his nobles, military commanders and leaders, uh, leading men of Galilee. When Herodias' own daughter came and had danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. The king said to the girl, guys, just don't ever say this. Every time this is said in the Bible, there's problems. Guys, don't say this. I don't care how beautiful she is. Don't say it. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. He promised Her with an oath, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? John the Baptist's head, she said. At once she hurried to the king and said, I want uh, want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Although the king was deeply distressed because of his oath and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. The king immediately sent for the executioner and commanded him to bring John's head. So he went and beheaded him in prison, brought the head on a platter, and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed him in the tomb. It's a sad story. That is a valley. I mean, think about it. That's a a dark moment. I want, see, part of studying through a book of the Bible is that we read the hard stuff. I'm not going to stand up here and preach you all just all the miracles and all. I want to tell you that life hits. There are valleys on this journey. Don't be surprised by them. Walking with God is not always going to be easy. So you have to ask a question question to yourself. Is Jesus the Messiah or not? That's that's the question John was asking. Are you it or should we wait for somebody else because I'm still in prison? Is Jesus the Lord or not? His being the Lord doesn't depend on how you feel that day. His being the Lord doesn't even depend on you following him. Him being the Lord doesn't depend on if you even like him. He's still the Lord. You can either follow him or you can reject him. Those are your choices. But you don't change who he is by the way you feel or by the circumstances that you're in. That's a hard statement, but it is what it is. So is he the Lord? When he does things the way he wants to? Or is he only the Lord when he does things the way you want him to? When he shows up, when you think he should, saves you from the trial you're going through, or is he the Lord because he is, period? Good question to ask. I think it's very easy, and I, I, I've struggled with this even myself. It's easy for us to get into a transactional relationship with Christ. Well, uh, I served you, and I will serve you if you do, dot, dot, dot. But if you don't, then I'm not going to serve you. Oh, okay, who, let me just ask you who is that hurting? Is he Lord? So when you say, if you you do it my way, I'll serve you. But if you don't do it my way, I'm not going to serve you. Who is that hurting? It's not hurting God. He's still God. If God is God, then he is still God whether or not you serve him. (laughs) If you say, yes, Jesus is Lord, then maybe the next big question is, why is he your Lord? because many, many of us are believers in this room today, and we would say, yeah, Jesus is Lord. Let me ask you, why? Why is he Lord? Why are you saying that? Do you serve him for what he can do for you? Do you serve him for his stuff? Do you serve him for wealth? Do you serve him for prosperity? Do you serve him because he's the ticket to heaven? I don't like all this church stuff and this rule stuff, but I I definitely want to get to heaven. So it's worth it. Why do you serve him? Why is he Lord to you? Or do you serve him because he is God, the Lord of all creation? He just is. It's a good question. We all as believers need to ask that question from time to time because as, as we walk with the Lord, we often drift in our understanding. And it's okay. It's part of it. You know, we get comfortable. We get comfortable with Jesus. And then when we get to that level of comfort, just like when he was in his hometown, there's a level of offense that comes when he doesn't do things we think he should. Because we're just so comfortable with him. So it's very healthy for us as believers every once in a while to say, why am I saying these words, Jesus is Lord? What are my motives Are they pure or are they transactional? Now, I want to say this because this is very important. It's very heavy. I know this. We put the valleys first. We're going to get to the peaks. Don't worry. But this is not to say that there are not some amazing benefits of being a follower of Christ. But the benefits cannot be the Lord. Do you understand me? The benefits cannot be the Lord. He must be Lord. All right, enough with the valleys. Let's look at some peaks that Mark chooses to highlight in his gospel. Remember we said last week that there's so many stories about Jesus that not even the whole world could could retain all the books of this. So Mark is choosing certain stories. These valleys he's talking about, let's get some peaks. Uh, Mark chapter 6. This is a great story. Verse 34. Now when Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it grew late, his disciples approached him and said, this place is uh, deserted, and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. <laughs> I love this. He doesn't even like address the issue. He doesn't even address the problem. He just says, you give them something to eat. Can you picture this? Now, we learned later there's like 5,000 plus people here. And they're like, Jesus, these, these people are starving. you gotta, you got to stop teaching. And he's like, I don't want to stop teaching. You, you give them something to eat. Even if we pulled all of our stuff together, it would have been nearly enough, right? This is, a, this is a crazy statement. And then he asked them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five loaves and two fish then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups of uh, on the green grass so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up to heaven he blessed and broke the loaves he kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people he also divided the two fish among them all everyone ate and was satisfied <laughs> That word satisfied. If you had a Bible, underline that word satisfied. They were satisfied. This word, uh, translated satisfied, uh, holds a connotation of the fact that they were, they were full to like full. They weren't just like they, I'm not hungry anymore. They were stuffed. They were sati- They were sated. They had, they, they had all the food that they needed. It's just abundant, it's a word of abundance. They were satisfied. They went from being starving to being satisfied because of a miracle of God. And the disciples, yeah, walking with Jesus is very difficult sometimes. But I'm telling you, if you follow the master, you will experience the miraculous. It could be tough sometimes. But there's going to be moments, man, where it's like, I don't even know. I had a friend, um back in the day, and uh, he gave a testimony one day about their financial struggles that they had gone through. And he said at one point, they were going through financial struggles, and um, they had just said, listen, I'm done, God. I'm done struggling with this. You've got to take the, you got to, basically, you got to take the wheel. Can Jesus, take the wheel. Uh, you You got you, you to you do this. So they started, they said, the one step forward, see, a lot of times we have to be a people that puts our our, our belief, and our faith into action. And he said the one step that they made is that they said, I don't know how I'm going to afford this, but we're going to start tithing. So they started giving 10% of their income to the church, and they didn't have the money. Now, most financial advisors be like, this is a bad idea. Like, you don't have it, so don't commit. <laughs> okay? Don't commit. Maybe you, know, maybe, you know, start small. They just said, I'm done. He was just so fed up with it. He said, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna start tithing. He said, over, now he was, he was, he was actually the father of my friend. Over the last, the next 25 years, from that moment on, they don't know how they had the money, but they always had enough. They don't know how they pay their mortgage sometimes, but they went to the bank to look for it and it was always there. Now, this is, not a, this is not a prescription. I'm not prescribing that you have financial problems. This is exactly what you do. I am saying there's principles of God's word that are very, very profound. And he, for his sake, he knew God wanted him to surrender his worry and his concern over the financial struggles. And God provided in miraculous ways. He sent five kids to Christian school. Private school. Always had the money for tuition. We're talking about maidens. Just skip maiden. Um. Always had enough. He worked. He worked his rear end off. He worked. Uh, he, was a he was a He was He worked in uh, construction. He, he he went back to school later on in his life, and he became a lawyer while he was working construction, and then he became a judge in Connecticut. I mean, his son is a lawyer. His daughter is a teacher. I mean, it just it's amazing what God did. And he said, "I'm just giving it over. I'm fed up. I'm I'm just telling you folks, when you walk." With the master, you will experience miracles. But I'm telling you, he had to hit bottom. He was in a valley when that happened. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12. Now, this is, this is going above and beyond, right? They picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. Why did they pick up 12 baskets? I think that was their lunch for the rest of the week for the 12 disciples. You, you were worried about food? Can we stop being worried about food? Can we stop worrying about this stuff? Jesus is able to provide in, in abundant ways. I love that he doesn't make just enough for everyone to have, to be, uh, who is hungry not hungry. But he is able to, uh, to do enough to, for everyone to be satisfied. And then there was 12 baskets of food left over after. You know what this tells me? Jesus was handing out food to the disciples. And they were handing that food out from a basket. And that basket never went dry. Even at the end, there was, tw- there was enough for. This is amazing. It's a huge miracle. Huge miracle. This is a high. The disciples are experiencing this. This is a high. This is a a peak. Let's keep going. Verse 45. After this whole day, immediately, he made his disciples get into a boat and go ahead of him on the other side to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd. So he said, you guys go, I'll dismiss the crowd. I'm going to take a little time, I'm going to pray for a little bit, uh, and I'll meet you on the other side. After he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. He saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So they're, they're, he sent them across. He's like, go across. kind of get things ready for me? I'll be, I'll be there in a bit. And, and as, they're, as he's going across, he notices that they're just not making any headway. Because the wind is against them. They're just, they're rowing all night and they're like not moving. They're just staying right in the middle. Okay. I love this part. Very early in the morning, he, be, he came toward them. Now read the words for what they are, not the stories you've heard. Read the words. Ready? Very early in the morning, he came toward them walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. Hey, guys, see you on the other side. I mean, which brings, the, the question comes, how many times did he do this? He's like, I'm going to go take a walk. There's, there's portions of Scripture where Jesus is gone for, for, for a long period of time just by on his own. He's just out in the wilderness just, you know, strolling on the water for, I don't know, I mean, I wish there was like a storybook of the time where people were like, yeah, I saw somebody on the water, too. I didn't know what that was all about. But they, he's just, he's going to walk by, he's going to walk by them. It's like, hey, guys, see you on the other side. But they get freaked out, and you would, too. You would, too. You wouldn't be like, oh, I heard Jesus did that. If you saw somebody walking in the water, you'd be freaked out, too. So when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, have courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. They were completely astounded, and so would you be. Instead, uh, excuse me, they were cleaning this up because they had not understood about the loaves. I think that's an interesting addition. If they had understood what happened with the loaves, that Jesus is Lord of all things, the material, the immaterial, that that this this Messiah is different than the Messiah that they were hoping for. He's actually greater than the Messiah that they ever envisioned. They were looking for, John was looking for it, they were looking for it, they were looking for a military Messiah to throw off Rome and, and set up Israel. And Jesus is like, I'm just not that guy, but I am the other thing. And if they had understood about the loaves, they would have been like, oh, yeah, makes sense. But they didn't. Instead, their hearts were hardened. There's a a commonality in this. the, the, The offense of Jesus, the hardening of the heart, the way we see Jesus makes a difference in how we live our lives. It makes a difference in how we experience the the, the peaks, and it makes a difference in how we experience the valleys. Our understanding of who Jesus is will inform our emotional state, our understanding of reality. It's a big deal. Now, I apologize. I encourage you to read it. But I want to move past chapter 7 and go right into chapter 8. But I encourage you on your own, read chapter 7. It's very good. It's not like this is a bad, you know, we don't read that part of Scripture. No, it's very good. But this, this, this portion of Scripture kind of plays into what we're talking about the peaks and the valleys. Remember what people said about, about Jesus to Herod? Remember that? What did they say to Herod? They said, Some think it's John the Baptist. Raised from the dead. Other people think it's Elijah. Some people think it's a prophet of old. Here we go. John, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Then Peter went out with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And the road he asked the disciples is as Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they answered the same way that people talked to John. They said, They answered him, John the Baptist. Others, Elisha, still others, one of the prophets. This means that there's a commonality to what people were saying about Jesus. This is who they were expecting him to be. Some thought he was John the Baptist, reborn, uh, uh, reincarnated, brought back to life. Some people thought they were, he was Elisha, come back from the dead. Other people thought he was one of the prophets. This is what the whole nation is saying about Jesus. And it's very complimentary, actually. But Jesus said this, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. Now that word Christ doesn't hold the same weight for us as it did for them. You know, Jesus Christ, Christ is not like his last name, like David Sangster, okay? Christ is is a title, In Matthew 16, it kind of gives you a better understanding. He says this, the same story. Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What did he reveal? In, 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 In Matthew, he says this, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So he's saying, you are the Messiah. You are God's Son. And Jesus says, blessed are you. God has revealed this directly to your brain. How many of you think that would be a peak? Would well, you like that? That's a peak. What well, Jesus said to you, you got it, man. And then he, later on he goes on to say, you know, on this truth, on this rock, this identity of who I am as the Messiah, the Son of the living God, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it big deal. That's a that's a peak. I wish I got that when I was in my in my office some, you know, most weeks. You know, God just say, "David, you got it, man. That's right from God." I hope that's the truth, but he got it right from Jesus' mouth. Interestingly enough, in chapter and verse 3, he says, "He strictly warned them not to tell them about it." So don't tell anybody. Remember what we talked about last week because that would that would increase the timeline. That would shorten the timeline of his ministry. Now, jump down to verse 31. It says this. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to su- uh, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. Wait a minute. This is Christ, the Son of the living God. That's a peak. That's who he is. And then he talks and preaches about a valley, that this Son of God is going to be rejected and, and murdered. That's a valley. If Jesus had peaks and valleys in his ministry, why do you think we wouldn't? Why do we get this idea that following Jesus is going to be a tiptoe through the tulips? We shouldn't. If we read the word for what it is, it sh- we shouldn't. Because he says, They're going to, uh, I'm going to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed and rise in on the third day. That's a, that's a peak. He spoke openly about this. Now, this is where I want to get to. In one breath, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven, you are speaking the oracles of God. And then we got this. He spoke only. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. Valley. Valley. Right? I mean, these verses are connected. If you look in your Bible, they're connected. One time he's saying, you got it, you're you're speaking the oracles of God. And next time he's like, yeah, you're Satan, get behind me. That's our walk. The only thing that's going to save us, the only tether to reality that's going to save us is walking with the master. We're going to have peaks, we're going to have valleys, but as long as we're with him, we're going to get through it. Jesus didn't say, get behind me, Satan, and Peter, I don't want to ever see you again. He just spoke truth to him, and that's going to happen to us. Our experiences on this walk with God are going to be peaks, and then there's going to be some valleys. Our understanding of who Jesus is is going to have peaks, and it's going to have valleys. The the, the consistent thing there is that we walk with the master. The way of Christ is a way. Of peaks and valleys. Jesus experienced them. One day he's healing everyone and is loved by the masses. The next day he's unable to do many miracles at all in his hometown and they rejected him. Peaks and valleys. One day he's literally walking on water. Another, he's being accused by the chief priests of blasphemy. Peaks and valleys. If Jesus is uh, walk a path of highs and lows, it would stand to reason that those who follow him would walk a similar path. One day Peter is professing the truth about Jesus straight from the mouth of God and is praised for it. In the very next passage, he's the mouthpiece of Satan, and is rebuked. Now I want to get back to where we started, and I promise I won't go much longer. Verse thirty-four of chapter 8, calling the crowd along with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Forever who wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What can anyone give in exchange for his soul? For, now, remember, with, remember what we said earlier, they were offended, it says, for whoever is ashamed of me and the words in this adult, uh, uh, in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes into his glory of his father with the holy angels. Are you offended by Jesus because he doesn't do things the way, because you're maybe walking through a valley? Don't be ashamed of him. He's still Lord. He's still Lord. He's still on the throne. It may not even feel like it, but he is. It makes sense that walking with Jesus would have moments when you experience the miraculous and have times of great victory because you're walking with the master. Because the path that we're we're walking leads through the enemy's territory, it also makes sense that there will be trials along the way. Think about it. This kingdom walks right through. What are some of the enemies? The curse is our enemy. Sin, death, sickness, those are some of our enemies. The devil is a real enemy. His primary goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. This, quote, unquote, adulterous and sinful generation is our enemy. Nothing new under the sun. Our world whose systems run directly opposed to the systems of the kingdom of God where sin is virtuous. In this kingdom of this world, sin is virtuous, and true virtue is sin. That's how they think of it. When you speak truth, you may be canceled. Let's have, let, let, let's let um, Jesus have the last word, huh? John 16, I have told you these things, so that you may have peace. Peace. In this world, you will have trouble. As you walk through this kingdom while living in mine, you're going to go through some struggles. What does he say at the end? But take heart. I have overcome this world. John the Baptist They can kill your body, but they can't take your soul. I have overcome this world. Peter, don't sweat it, man. You're going to make more mistakes than that. Stick with me. I have overcome this world. Fill in the blank. Fill the name. Dot, dot, dot. Stick with me. I have overcome this world. Lord, thank you for this time we could be together today and study the full gospel, not just the highs, not just all the fun verses. But Lord, we could dig into some of the difficult passages where things just don't seem to work out the way we think they should. But that's the truth. That's where we can find um, sincerity and authenticity in the word because we experience those lows too. Lord, you didn't leave them out of your word. You put them right there. So Lord, I pray that we would understand who you are. Lord, creator of everything, despite how we're feeling. But, Lord, you do care, and you have the power. So we follow you, and we let you make the choices. We follow you. We we cover ourselves with the dust of our rabbi, and we persevere through the the lows, and we rejoice when we experience the miracles. Be with my brothers and sisters today who may be going through a valley. And, Lord, we celebrate with those who are on the mountaintop. We give you praise and glory for who you are, our Lord and Savior. Jesus name I pray. Amen. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.